Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. What's up, people? How's everybody doing? Welcome back, back to another freebie, you free lotus. <laughs> a big name freebie, too. This is how we're yeah, changing it name. up now. Senor Pablo Escobar. The uh, Steve Jobs of cocaine. I like that. You like that? It's pretty good. Steve Jobs was also supposed to be a dick, so. Oh, well, there you go. So it's perfect. You know, I don't. It's it's hard for a person to be that uber successful and be like a billionaire. It seems like almost every billionaire is an asshole, except for like Bill Gates. Seems pretty cool, right? Hmm. Uh, yeah, he does seem his, pretty cool. What's his nuts from um, from uh, Twitter? The electric cars? No, what's what's the guy? Oh, Elon Musk. Elon Musk. He seems he seems kind of cool. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But they still seem a little like strange their time out there. Is, they said they different. seem like their time is worth so much to them. You know, which which it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, for it's, being it's real with no, ourselves. They have no like uh, patience with for anybody who's mediocre. They're just like you're just slowing me down. I think that was like uh, that was Steve Jobs' thing. It seemed like anybody around him that wasn't like pushing and making making the product better or whatever, he was just like a complete dick to him. He's like, you're just wasting my time. That's what I was gonna say. It's it's someone who doesn't have anything to offer them, someone who right. can't benefit who they can't benefit from. So they feel like, eh, waste of time. That's not family or friends, you know. But I mean, but yeah. in a way, you benefit from your family and friends as well. So. Yeah. Pablo was just didn't have time for anybody but his own family. Really, he 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 started to become paranoid, like a lot of guys in his position. A lot of uh, mob people, a lot of uh, people in the drug industry, big wigs. He, he just seemed like he started to like even friends were at risk. Like you, you just couldn't ever feel safe around the guy. Oh yeah, and rightfully so. Right. I mean, he eventually worth what three billion dollars. Yeah. I, I want to say his his net worth at one point was thirty billion. Like when you consider Holy all the shit. property and all the other shit <clears> that he owned, yeah, we got a lot of statistics as far as how much money he was making. And it was like at the point where they're like burying money because they didn't even know what to do with it. <laughs> it's just like it's fucking money. It's so cumbersome. What, what am I going to do with all this? What am I going to do money? with all this? <laughs> it's a little chilly out. Hey, burn burn a stack of hundreds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel yeah, like he would like, burn stacks of hundreds rather than let, like share it with somebody else. I, like, although, unless it was unless he had a chance at like a PR thing with, he always liked to try and uh, be the man of the people. But it was just an, a matter of raising up him and making him more powerful and trying to get him into politics and all that shit. We'll get into it, but right, of course, I could see him lighting uh, a cigar with a hundred dollar bill or something like that. Oh, just for, <laughs> for sure, he did that. Joints. He loved weed a lot more. I think that was his thing, yes. his drug of choice. But how's things going over in North Carolina, man? We don't talk much now. Oh, uh, they're going well, man. They're going really well. It's it's cooling down here. It's been like oh, in the seventies, high seventies. Cooling down here, bro. It's cold up, Is up it? in the mountains where I live. Yeah, it's but like, a good cold though. It's like brisk. It's like it's it's energizing cold. That's what I like about the fall here too. It's like that. Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time in the woods, cutting trails. Uh, we made a trail that goes clear up to Carter's Mountain, which is pretty awesome. You can see like Charlotte. You can oversee Charlotte and most of the like metro Charlotte metro area. From the top of the mountain, it's it's pretty incredible. I saw a video your your wife posted on Instagram of walking the dog or whatever. Is that literally out your backyard? Is just a forest? Like she could just yeah. That is so crazy. Yeah, you just walk straight out of our backyard. I'll I'll have to send you a video, man. I'll make you a short one on my phone or something and put it in our Dropbox. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I can see how that's better than Vegas. Or <laughs> <laughs> where, where, well, where you were living out in Sandy Valley. Uh, yeah, it's where I grew up, man. You know what I mean? It just home. feels. It feels like home, yeah. Yeah. It feels good. Well, uh, sorry to all the creepers. We missed a week there, and I think it's, part of it is not that we didn't 
podcast or we needed a break or anything like that. We actually did podcast and we there was a fuck up. Mm-hmm. And on my part, on my part, I'm it's, not pointing cool fingers. I'm just saying shit happens. Yeah. It could have easily happened right. on my end. It just happened to happen on Michael's end. Lord knows I've lost an episode before because <laughs> of a mistake. So oh, we've had some nightmares. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it happens over a hundred plus episodes. It's part of it's part of the game. It's part of podcasting. So yeah, just That's know right. that we we tried to put one out there. It's just Michael's end of the audio. He recorded through his computer as opposed to through the mixer and the microphone, so you wouldn't yep. even want to listen to it. It would just be frustrating. So, oh, it was terrible. It was like I was on a cyber phone call. Yeah. It, it was it was awful sound. You could hear every little click of my keyboard as I was like searching things. And, <laughs> oh, it was awful, man. It was awful. Yeah. So yeah, we saved y'all from that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, and it wasn't like uh, it's not like we recorded Pablo Escobar and it went phenomenal or anything like that. It was just your your basic uh, serial killer. It it didn't you know it wasn't like a mind blowing episode anyway it was just it would have been nice to get it out there but whatever we're moving on this train keeps rolling what can you do that's right you, you guys trucking, deserve right? better quality they, life's yeah, a garden they deserve dig a better it. quality yeah <laughs> life's a garden dig it <laughs> I, I right, love turn Joe, off the I news love, build a garden I love pulling out, pulling out Joe Dirt quotes every now and then it's <laughs> not number two number one of course right Joe number Dirt two is, is a piece of garbage right all right let's like, do this it's, all right man let's get into it. Pablo Escobar. Kick in the intro, Michael. All right. The main ideology of our movement is public spirit, nationalism, social programs, environmental issues, and athletic programs. I seek peace, and I've always preached peace, and I have longed for peace. Pablo Escobar. This is the story of La Patron. He loves his family and he calls it home in Colombia. Robin Hood, hero of Medellin Some just call him the king of cocaine in Colombia Some folks don't see it that way Especially here in the USA We got some guys at the DEA that we call ya Some folks don't see it that way Especially here in the USA Got some guys at the DEA that we call ya. A narco terrorist is the story of La Patron. He loves his family and he calls it home in Colombia. Narco terrorist. Robin Hood, hero of Medellin. Some just call him the king of cocaine in Colombia. All right, so our case this week is the legend Pablo Escobar. We've both watched the show Narcos, season one. I've watched a lot of season two when it went into the Cali Cartel, Mm -hmm. Um, but there's just nothing like season one. The actor that played Pablo was captivating. Yes, he was. Amazing show on Netflix, Netflix original. If you haven't checked it out, definitely check out Narcos um, based on Pablo Escobar. I felt like after season one, I was I was content. I was like, "That's yeah, that's all I wanted to see right there. That's cool with me. I'm I'm happy right. with that show right now. They just did it all in one season. I'm I'm impressed. Yeah, 
Yeah, some, sometimes you just you just need to wrap it up. Like That's right. Breaking Bad did that a good job. They just kind of ended it. It didn't need to keep going. Um, there's uh, some shows like The Walking Dead just keep going, and it becomes kind of a funny thing that it's named The Walking Dead because I felt like that show was just Walking Dead for many years. Where it's like <laughs> they just keep putting out episodes and no one cares anymore. Like after for me after the season where Shane after Shane and Rick had their fucking whole battle and. Rick kill. I uh, spoiler alert. This is years ago, but yeah. Like once Shane two. died on the farm or whatever. After that, I just kind of lost interest. You lost interest um, after Shane died on the farm. Yeah, bro. The show. I mean, I, I still watched like the prison season. It was okay, um, but it just started getting cornier and cornier. But Shane and Rick, that dynamic, that tension between the two of them, that was yeah. what I that was tuning in for. Man, that show was good. That was. And good. that actor, that actor who played Shane in that, I can't think of his name, but he was in like Fury and a bunch of other movies. He he's played the Punisher. Great. He, he was, played he's the Punisher, Punisher, did a great right? He's an amazing actor. Yeah. Yeah. But, anyways, back to the, the case at hand. Um, after season one, like you said, I, I, it was still a good show. It was just, you don't know. I just felt like, yeah, I'm good. I wanted the, the Pablo Escobar story Man. and like the hunt for him and the actors that, that played the, the uh, drug, where they DEA. Yeah, they were hunting him down. They were DA Those two agents, guys, yeah. Pena and I forget the other Steve guy. Steve Murphy, is that right? Yeah, Steve Murphy, something like that. I think it was Steve. I don't know. Great actors as well. Such a good show. Um, and for this case, I mean, I, I watched that show a long time ago, so I, there was not a whole lot that I remembered um, as far as like helping me to study for this, right? Other than the overall vibe of how powerful he was and how hard it was for them to get him. Um, uh, we also, I got the book "Killing Pablo" by Mark Bowden. In audible form, nice, very good, detailed account of the time period in Colombia and Pablo Escobar's rise to power, his and his ultimate, uh, the them finally, law enforcement finally taking him down. Man. A lot of help from the U.S. government and all that. You finally know what? Getting to him. I was gonna say overall, I feel like the uh, the show Narcos is pretty accurate though. I recalled oh, sure. a lot of stuff because I, I I went back and I watched some documentaries. Uh, there's one that's just called. Uh, Pablo Escobar biography and it's like mm-hmm. and it's like a little over an hour or something on YouTube and and you're watching it and you're like I already knew all this shit yeah from Narcos. I'm like I know all this <laughs> stuff from Narcos it, but where are all the sex scenes I'm like, like, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean aside from the sex scene every five minutes uh yeah it was pretty pretty accurate but that's probably pretty accurate well, as well even in the show they kept bringing like at the beginning of the episodes it was almost like uh one of my favorite series of all times Band of Brothers the HBO miniseries they in the beginning of the episodes of Narcos, much like in um, in Band of Brothers, they would bring in the in Band of Brothers they would bring in the real people who were like the show was based on, like the real people that fought in World War II were part of the 101st Airborne. But in the early like in the beginning of the episodes of Narcos, they would show like real footage of the hunt for Pablo Escobar. They would show yes. real footage of Pablo. They would show real fo- like news footage of the shit that was going on between. His uh, his guys fighting the government in in Colombia, like he was, uh, he was very close to running that country, like for a while there. Like there was a full on war between his narcos and the go- the government of Colombia, you know. Right. And also, he had tons of people, officials that were paid off, and tons of policia that were paid off, and crazy. Oh yeah, he was running shit. You know what? One of my favorite scenes is though, and they show it all the time on the narcos intro. Is that one where he's riding in like that parade of dirt bikes that's such a bad the best because he was had like a 63 acre farm or no the acre wasn't it was way more than that i think he played he paid 63 million or something like that okay back in like the in this late 70s early 80s or whatever 
for that fucking farm that he had. And yeah, it was like sprawling. He had rhinos and yes, <laughs> we'll, had we'll like get giraffes. into all that. <laughs> Dude, what, what a life. Unbelievable. But that dirt bike freaking parade, that just like that's just from my dreams, man. I would just love to get right. together with all my friends and be able to buy them all Dude, dirt bikes and just go riding. Shit, right? Like that is the shit. Endless money. You're riding through rhinos and yeah. fucking Dolphins, not dolphins, one of my just dolphins. Freaking kicking at each other like nothing bad could ever happen in a parade of dirt bikes. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of safari animals and I say dolphin. <laughs> He's riding dolphins dirt bikes through dolphins. out there in the savannah. <laughs> yeah, you guys listen to me. I'm that dumb. <laughs> How good is the intro, though, for that show? I, it gets stuck in my head. I, I'll just randomly it's start beautiful. singing that. And it's all in Spanish. I can't even understand it. But my God, it's so good. I love that Spanish guitar, man. It's so, Dude, it's just, uh, it's hypnotizing. It's so catchy. Like, I feel like I can almost sing that song in, in, the, in the Spanish words, and I don't even know what the hell they mean. <laughs> it is. It's a beautiful language, man. That being said, I learned some stuff from studying this case and from the book, and uh, that I, I feel like the, the, one sh- the one way that that show screwed up a little bit is, like, the, the actor that played Pablo was phenomenal, mm-hmm. but he almost was too... His expressions on his face and like his acting, he was he was almost too contemplative and like too. He seemed to be too calculated and smart. Okay. But when I studied Pablo, he was just a thug, gangster, scary. Like he only got to his position by fear and like like very much like a mob boss, where it's like, uh, where he he just kind of like came in and pushed his way in, not mm-hmm. so much with smarts, but with just fear. He was, right. he was just basically, everyone was afraid he was going to kill him. And that's how he got to where he was. And it wasn't like he just kind of like manipulated his way or he no. was so smart. Like he was a dumb dude. And you see it in his face when you see real footage. I'm like, oh, I can see this is a dumb dude. <laughs> like, well, when you had the- He's just got dull eyes. Like he's not like as like, like I said, like thought, thought provoking as like the actor that played him in the show like in the show it's you seem like he was this mastermind but he really wasn't right well you can't it's hard to really call someone persuasive when their power of persuasion is killing you and your entire family like that's that's not very smart like when that's on the table of course of course you're gonna you're gonna move up and manipulate people and and have power of course Mm -hmm. i mean he's not like gus fring from breaking bad you know what i mean where he's right He's getting into politics just a little bit. He was bit much here, more like Tuco, uh, Salamanca. In uh, that show. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was much more Tuco than he was Gus. Way more Tuco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's always a, a way to, to re- like reference Breaking Bad in any life situation. Yeah, right? I hope so. I, I do it all the time. <laughs> all right. So let's dive into it. Pablo Escobar was a Colombian drug lord whose ruthless ambition until his death implicated his wife, daughter, and son in a, in a notorious Medellin cartel. Uh, he was a Colombian drug traffic- trafficker who eventually controlled over 80% of the cocaine shipped to the U.S., earning him the rank of one of Forbes magazine's 10 wealthiest people in the world. He, they actually, I, I saw an interesting thing in a documentary I watched on YouTube that actually said that they, at a certain point, he had brought, he was responsible for bringing so much coke into the U.S. that it started to like become like really the, cheap. The price went down. Yeah, the price went down because yeah. they just, they were so successful bringing so much in. That it was like, it was just oversaturation of coke when it started going down. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Escobar entered the cocaine trade in the early 1970s, collaborating with other criminals to form the Medellin Cartel. And I'll probably butcher some of these Spanish names and these Colombian town names. Right. But, you know, that's to par for the course for our show. That's right. He earned popularity by sponsoring charity projects and soccer clubs, but later terror, terror campaigns that resulted in the murder of thousands 
turn public opinion against him. Yeah. So for a while, he was looked at that as sort of a Robin Hood figure, you know, taking drug, taking money from the the rich capitalist U.S. and bringing it into uh, Colombia for the people mm -hmm. and and spreading the wealth and all that stuff. But he was really doing it for notoriety and for a good public image because he knew that if he had like if he had the backing of the people, he had a good chance at making it into politics and then right. he could end up really kind of like ruling the country as he wanted. Exactly. And I think a lot of people wonder why he was so popular and why he was received that way. And that's because I think it's mainly because the Colombians didn't see themselves as having a drug problem. Like they didn't, right. they didn't, they weren't being controlled by cocaine or whatever. They didn't see that as an issue. So they thought, well, their beautiful country was providing this thing that could yes. be turned into money and really exactly. steal money wealth from the evil. They United thought States. of it. They thought of it as like alcohol before prohibition. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they thought of it the same way. They're like, oh man, we're going to be ahead of the game. We're going to be business giants. Mm -hmm. You know, because we're providing this, this you know, this need in society, and it's not affecting our society. So yeah. it's perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's talk about his early life. He was born on December 1st, 1949. Ah, oh, shit, I forgot to pull up celebrity birthdays. That's my sister's birthday. Second. She's not a celebrity, though. It's Michael's sister. There you go. She's, she's more famous than any of these YouTube kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's see. December 1st, birthdays. We got a bunch of people I don't know. Let's see. Who the hell's Mumbo Jumbo? No clue. That, 20, literally, that literally sounds like you just made that up. It sounds like you didn't care about their names so much. <laughs> Bunch of mumbo like, jumbo. This mumbo jumbo. <laughs> Here we go. Sarah Silverman. I love Sarah Silverman. Oh, okay, Sarah Silverman. Nice. She's hilarious. Uh, Richard Pryor. What? We'll what? just end on that. There you go. We'll just end on that. That's, That's beautiful. Two great comedians right there. Hell That's yeah, good. man. Yeah, so Escobar shares a birthday with them. He was born, uh, so like I said, December 1st, 1949, in the Colombian city of Rio Negro, and Antioquia, I'm going to butcher all these. Later, uh, his family later moved to the suburb of Invigado, Escobar. So he grew up in, uh, he was middle class, actually. He grew up in kind of like sprawling farmlands just outside of, uh, of Medellin, you mm -hmm. know, which was a very, we'll get into the, just how freaking violent and dangerous Medellin was. And just Colombia during this time, it was, he grew up in a, in a time of just violence everywhere. Um, he came from a modest family. His father worked as a peasant farmer while his mother was a school teacher. From an early age, Escobar packed a unique ambition to raise himself up from his humble beginnings. When Pablo was two years old, his family moved to Invigado, a suburb of Medellin. And as we briefly mentioned, Medellin was, or I'm sure I'm butchering that like that pronunciation. Medellin. It's it's Medellin. Medellin. Yeah, I'm making Medellin. it very white. Yeah, because it's got two L's at the end, <laughs> so it's a Y sound. Yeah, Medellin. Medellin. And we're gonna use that. We're gonna say that a lot because that was yeah, that was kind of his his city. Um, it was particularly violent, however, during the 50s when Pablo was a child. Uh, it was the time known as the as La Valencia, or the violence. It was a 10 year civil war in Colombia from 1948 to 1958 between the Colombian Conservative Party and the Con Colombian Liberal Party fought mainly in the countryside. During this period, rural town police and political leaders encouraged conservative supporting peasants to seize the agricultural lands of liberal supporting peasants, which provoked peasant-to-peasant -peasant violence throughout Colombia. Due to the incomplete, due to incomplete, uh, incomplete or non-existent statistical records, exact measurement of La Valencia's human humanitarian consequences is impossible to determine. Scholars, however, estimate that between 200,000 and 300,000 lives were lost. 600,000 to 800,000 were injured and almost 1 million people were displaced. La Valencia directly or indirectly affected 20% of the population of Colombia. Um, La Valencia 
did not acquire its name simply because of the number of people it affected. It was the manner in which most of the killings, maimings, and dismemberings were done. Certain death and torture techniques became so commonplace that they were given names. For example, uh, Pakar Para Tamal, which involved slowly cutting up a living person's body, or Baka Kwayar, I'm butchering them, which, uh, where hundreds of small punctures were made until the victim slowly bled to death, to death. So just these really horrifying ways of butchering people for public display. Yikes, um, that's like some Vlad the Impaler shit right there, man. Yeah, no, it was very, very bad. Uh, here's a quote from the time. Indigenous forms of quartering and beheading were invented and given such names as uh, the Colombian necktie and so on. Crucifixions mm. and hangings were commonplace. Political prisoners were thrown from airplanes in flight. Infants were bayoneted. Schoolgirls, some as young as eight years old, were raped. Unborn infants were removed from uh, from cr- by crude cesarean section and replaced by roosters. Ears were cut off, scalps removed, and so on. So this is a time period and and time or a place in the world where Pablo Escobar was raised. So I just don't not... see why he turned out so badly. <laughs> right, he's yeah, raised just, in such I a. I mean, he had everything in such a, <laughs> a beautiful environment with you know with, where you a person could really raise up and be a good person this is a lovely countryside of death <laughs> <laughs> uh, escobar reportedly began his life of crime early stealing tombstones and selling phony diplomas he was known to create phony diplomas and documents for himself throughout life he had been expelled from school and never actually graduated um, yeah, so his, I think it was his grandfather. He he had been around his grandfather or someone in his family who uh, made headstones for a living. And so he kind of got this idea to use, um, what was it, sand, what are those things called? The power washers or something like that. Oh, pressure washers? Some, something along those lines to, to, to remove. He would go steal them and then he would use a power washer to uh, remove the engravings and then re-engrave them for people. Whoa. Well, they engrave it with a sharpie. How do you how do you remove an engraving? That's crazy. Well, they would they would power wash them until because you know it's like stone and they would carve into us. So if you like yeah. take a layer off, then you could engrave them again with whatever. Uh, um, and what would he engrave on them? Whatever the the new person that he was selling it to needed, their loved one's name and stuff about their life. That would be a great way to like uh, intimidate people. Just like steal a gravestone and put their name on it. And just put it in their front yard. Oh, God, yes. Just to remind them. <laughs> I could totally see him doing shit like that later on. Right? Like, to, a, to say, like, to, like, a judge or a, yeah. an attorney that could potentially lock him up. Exactly. It would do similar stuff to, like, to, to judges and uh, people in law enforcement. Oh, my God. The, the, anybody that was in the, like, Colombian version of the FBI, I can't remember what it's called off my head. Oh yeah, yeah. Head, but I know what you're talking about. Oh my God, those dudes—they probably never slept a wink during the that, one man. dude, the head of it of the Colombian uh, FBI. He he was he had a, a hits attempted hits on his life like eight times, yep. and he he ended up surviving it. I watched that in the do, in the documentary. Yeah, that was insane. He had like a, a he had he, like a freaking Floyd Mayweather entourage with him, armed yep. all the time. Yeah. Um, Pablo later was known to have bookshops filled with impressive books that he never read, but wanted others to believe that he had read. <laughs> that's that's an interesting I fact I found that right fact there. kind of funny. <laughs> that's <laughs> an interesting fact. I threw that in the crime line. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't long before he started stealing cars, then moving into the smuggling business. Uh, he made his way into these trades, not by cleverness, as we had brought up, but by fear and, and uh, by force, uh, much like a mobster. His first arrest, and this is the famous um, 
headshot that you see or like the uh, what do they call those that we have in our in our picture mug shots mug shot yeah, yeah. Uh, the famous mug shot of him when he's younger when he's got like the five o'clock shadow I think Joe Rogan actually just got one of these for his studio a picture of Pablo his first arrest yeah this 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 arrest of that famous mug shot came while making a run of cocoa paste from the Andes Mountains to a drug factory in Medellin he used to do this uh, on a daily basis and he would race his cousin in cars up the mountain to get and uh the, the winner would get the proceeds um from that day's haul so he would yeah he was delivering cocoa paste making his way into the drug business um <laughs> he eventually got out of the charges on a technicality and this would be something that would continue on for many years getting out of criminal charges constantly oh of course by put instilling fear into either a judge or the the attorney or finding well, some loophole in the system well, don't you think the people he was working for had a lot of pull in this too? You know what I mean? Oh, like no they doubt. probably helped get him out. And then when you, you you can't deny that someone that Pablo had he had a lot of charisma. He had a lot of uh, potential. And you know right. these other drug lords saw that in him. Well, so he's fearless. Probably, that that went yeah, a long way. Exactly. He's he's a hell of a soldier. So yeah. they're gonna do what they got to do to get him out. Yeah, I mean he he was hell bent on. He was gonna. He was going to make something of himself. He was going to be a powerful, well-known man, and, and and he knew it was going to come through some kind of criminal means. Knowing based off the country he grew up in, I mean, that was kind of like the the quickest path to to becoming powerful. You know, mm-hmm. also like if you grow up in in the projects, if you grow up in like uh, in Chicago, it, it really in any times, even still to this day, if you grow up in a really low-income area, like the quickest way to make to make yourself powerful is is by you know selling drugs and whatnot um yeah. escobar's or early prominence channel. or a youtube that 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 gives another outlet to these these young right. people but then you got to have internet and a computer and all that shit maybe you don't mm, that's true escobar's maybe. early prominence came during the marlboro war, marlboro war, wars that's a tongue twister say that three times fast <laughs> i've always struggled with that word marlboro the Mar- cigarette company marlboro it's like the <laughs> if when i see it written it's worse but say that with say a it, cigarette in your mouth. Marlboro. <laughs> Marlboro. Maybe you have Marlboro. to. Maybe that's the trick. <laughs> they name their company something that can only be said with their product in your mouth. Marlboro. <laughs> so to, so you better not uh, burn that last one before you go buy another pack because then you can't right. even order them, right? Like <laughs> yeah. So, so as I was saying, his early prominence came during the Marlboro Wars in which he played a high-profile role in the control of <laughs> Columbia's smug... It's just fucking all my... T- I can't say it. I can't say any words anymore. Um, yeah, he became a high-profile role in the control of Columbia's smuggled cigarette market. Uh, this episode proved to be a valuable training ground for the future narcotics kingpin. He made his first million dollars by the age of 22. That's, that's a good start to life, huh? He must have won a lot of those races going up that mountain, man. Right. You know he did. He did like to go fast. You he seen was a little swindler, everything. man. He was he was well, doing all, yeah. running all kinds of rackets as a teenager. Yeah, that's true. And that's true, uh, yeah, and just made his way into with some powerful people. It's kind of like uh, Goodfellas, I think. Like he just kind of like at a young age got in with the powerful older folks that were in the drug business and and established himself by being, like you said, a good soldier. You know, and then yep. just, and then once he got powerful enough to get up get up with the more powerful people he would start bullying them and scaring them and he would kill them if he had to and we'll get into some of that uh, he he really like his his uh power shot up after murdering allegedly uh really power the most powerful man around at the time and kind of put him in that seat much like game of thrones you know that's that's uh, how it works right i mean you yeah. want to be the top dog you have to take the top dog out man one way or yeah. another 
1976, Pablo married 15-year-old Maria Victoria Hinao, or I guess Hinao would be how it's pronounced. The couple had two children together, a son named Juan Pablo and a daughter named Manuela. Today, Escobar's son is a motivational speaker who goes by the name Sebastian Marroquin. Marroquin studied architecture and published a book in 2015 called Pablo Escobar, My Father, which tells the story of growing up with the world's most notorious drug kingpin. He also asserts that his father had committed suicide. Uh, I don't. I believe, I, that. I believe that. I think you don't think so. On the rooftop with yeah, with, with uh, the DA crushing I think down so, on him. Man. I think that's like the that's like the perfect way to go. Well, I mean, he went, I mean, he, he went out he, on a rooftop. I mean, I guess on. suicide by force, though. Like they were there yeah. about to shoot him, so maybe. Oh yeah, well, he's gonna go down <laughs> fighting. You know what I'm saying? Like he he right. was prepared to die that day. Okay, so oh, uh, suicide by cop essentially. Is what, yes. What he's saying. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, here's a quote from his son: "My father's not a person to be intimidated." Uh, Marquin said in Agent France press interview, "He showed us the path we must never take as a society because it's the path to self-destruction, the loss of values, and a place where life ceases to have importance." That's very uh, well said from the son of a madman. Yeah, it is. That's very good very for him. Insightful. Turning you know turning this yeah. into some good. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about the Medellin cartel. Uh, Medellin. Medellin. Medellin cartel. Sorry, Mike. There you go. You got it. <laughs> It wasn't by chance that Colombia came to dominate the cocaine trade. Beginning in the early 1970s, the country became a prime smuggling ground for marijuana. But as the cocaine market flourished, Colombia's geographical location proved to be its biggest asset. Situated at the northern tip of South America between the thriving cocoa cultivation epicenters of Peru and Bolivia, the country became, came to dominate the global cocaine trade with the United States, the biggest market for the drug, just a short trip to the north. Escobar moved quickly to grab control of the cocaine trade. In 1975, drug trafficker Fabio Restrepo from the city of Medellin, Colombia, was murdered. And that's the man I was talking about that was very powerful. Right. Who basically was sitting in the position that Pablo wanted, got suspiciously murdered. And Pablo didn't outright admit it, but he also didn't deny it. So he kind of left it like everyone to speculate and assume it was him, which kind of in a way, made him even scarier. He's I was like, about to say, even if he didn't do it, it but. yeah, even if he didn't do it, it still looks good to have people think you did. Right. Either way, which he definitely did it, but you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Something, uh, there was an interesting thing that the book Killing Pablo brought up in the beginning when they were talking about Colombia during this time. They said that um, people in this country believe that, it, it was like these are very religious, and they were saying that they, they believe that because Colombia is like one of the richest like uh countries as far as like natural beauty and w- what and the country resources. has is in resources and all that that it, it like life's balance and god's balance was to make them like as as a culture and as a people like the most violent people on earth like the murder rate in this country and all that was just like it was just death everywhere all the time and chaos so it's, it was, so it's it was like, like the life's price balance you pay. Yeah, it was like the price you pay for having the most beautiful country was also having like the most violent people. Wow. It does seem like life has that weird balance though, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Huh. Um, his killing, so the killing of uh, Fabio Restrepo, uh, it's believed came at the orders of Escobar who immediately seized power and expanded Restrepo's operation into something the world had never seen. Under Escobar's leadership, large amounts of cocoa paste were purchased in Bolivia and Peru, processed, and transported to America. 
Escobar worked with a small group to form the infamous Medellin cartel. By the mid-80s, Escobar had an estimated net worth of $30 billion and was named one of the 10 richest people on earth by Forbes. Cash was so prevalent that Escobar purchased a Learjet for the sole purpose of flying his money. <laughs> <laughs> How else are you going to get it there, man? Dude, a Learjet, yeah, you can fit a lot of kilos on that shit. Yeah, I think so. I, think I feel like that looks less one. suspicious, too. If you've got, like, a full-on, like, jetliner, like, just, you could just assume that's just a flight, you know, carrying people. I guess so, yeah. I mean, he um, got away with it a lot. He had way more successful oh, yeah. flights than not successful. He got that's, so, I mean, they were shipping so much and making so much money that even if some of these planes got, they looked at it like, well, if, if a few planes here and there get seized, they almost, like, did it on purpose. They almost wanted some to get seized just so the cops yeah. in America felt like they were doing their job and they felt good about themselves. Right, and that's but just like, less could, money you have to, to bury in the or bucket, whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, less money you have to bury and burn. It's kind of like <laughs> right? you're really doing them a favor getting rid of some <laughs> of that money. Thank you, Jesus. Haul it off. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. uh, at the time, Escobar controlled more than 80% of the cocaine smuggled into the United States. More than 15 tons were reportedly smug- smuggled in each day, netting the meddling cartel as much as $420 million a week. So that, that number I said of his net worth being $30 billion, that doesn't seem all that crazy when you think $420 million a week, and how much of that is he seeing? Quite a bit, you'd imagine. Yes. Most of it, I would say, of that 420 is going directly to fucking Pablo's estate. Dude, that's 60 million a day, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. 60 million so, a yeah. day. So crazy, dude. Ugh, I'm in the um, wrong business, bro. Yeah. I just, As a, <laughs> yeah, the podcasting, man, it's not that lucrative. It's not that lucrative. No. <laughs> As Escobar's fortune and fame grew, he dreamed to be seen as a leader. In some ways, he positioned himself as a Robin Hood-like figure, which was echoed by many locals as he spent money to expand social programs for the poor. Uh, Let's talk about his short-lived stint in politics, which just created this big chip on his shoulder because he wasn't really accepted into that that field. As a young man, Escobar told friends and family that he wanted to become president of Colombia, yet as he saw it, his path to wealth and legitimacy lay in crime. In 1982, Escobar was elected as alternate member of Colombia's Congress, but the reasons for his wealth could not stay hidden, and two years after his election, he was forced to resign. The justice minister who revealed Escobar's notorious background was, of course, later slain. Oh, oh. I, my, my computer decided to remind me that I have an elk hunt in a few days. Oh, thank you, computer. <laughs> I totally <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, so the, the justice minister that uh, had outed him as to how he made it money, as if it wasn't already known, you know, but it was just like put out there. It was put out there in a way that he couldn't deny it. And right. it kind of ruined his chances at being a politician and, and being ultimately the president of Colombia. And so, of course, he had him killed. He had these he had these hitmen. It's so scary to think. Like when you look at the streets of of Medellin, Colombia, and like, you know, it's a bunch of these like townhomes and everything. And he had, and they're like these small roads where you can barely fit a car. And he yeah. had these hitmen that were riding around on like Enduros, like these, these motorcycle slash dirt bike hybrids. Yep. And the, yeah, it, it was like, if you've watched, like, it was a stupid comparison, but like, if you've seen uh, um, Fast and Furious, you know, like you, you, the, the, um, the dudes that were riding around on the motorcycles that were like Yakuza or whatever with like machine guns it was kind of like that like they were and if you've seen narcos you've, you've seen it as well oh, yeah, but like they could get around so good on these little streets on these on these motorcycles and they would just ride up alongside you in traffic and just machine gun you and yep. if and if they took out some other people it didn't matter to them 
nope. he was ruthless and that Pablo would kill your whole family or anybody in the way to get to you. He didn't he didn't care about killing at all. Right. And these also these guys that were performing these uh these murders a lot of them were like barely teenagers, man. These were kids. Yeah, oh yeah. And yeah. they were and they were prepared to die for Pablo mm-hmm. already. So it's like, you know, they they commit the murder. They all split off in different ways down alleys. Like, how are you going to, how do you And they had the same this? mentality that he had when he was young and that, like, this was their quickest way to establish themselves and become known and get money. And, and, and like, what else are they going to do? They're, they're growing up yep. in this country where it was, like, violence everywhere. And oh, they may yeah. as well join it and get a part of it and at least get something out of it as opposed they're, to be a victim of it, you know? They're probably getting paid for one for one hit what they would make in a year. Or yeah. I, I may even be underestimating it, honestly. And honestly, uh, I don't know if they had a choice. It, I, I kind of look at it like the Mexican cartel episode we did, where right. it was like, it was like uh, if you're a young man, you're going to get indoctrinated into this life of crime, or you're going to become a victim of it. You know, it's like you have to join us. And also look at thing. the way look at the way it's pitched to them. Right, they're growing up in the streets of Medellin. You know, they have mm-hmm. no other options. Their family is poor, and they're thinking, "Man, this amount of money that I could make for killing this one wealthy man who put us, who we probably blame for being in the situation in the first place, can right. set up my family for life. It could change exactly. our lives. It could change not only mine but my whole family's lives." Yeah, and so, I get protection for my family. And you have you know, protection. That's right. As long because as, as long as you're on, as long as you're in good graces with Pablo, if something happened to your family, he's gonna get. I'd imagine he would have that retaliated against, you know? So it's protection. Yes, yes it is. There, I think early on, actually, I just remembered this from, from either the book or the documentary. I think Pablo was actually offering, this is part of like his rise. It's a very mobster tactic. Uh, early on, there were so many carjackings and so many like taxis getting stolen, like just car, car robberies. He was taking part in it. Like that was where he was making money early on was stealing cars and then having them stripped and selling the car parts and shit. And one way he was making money was like very mob tactic. He was offering protection to people like auto theft protection. Like your car won't get stolen if you pay me your tribute every, every week or whatever. And like if people (laughs) refuse to pay, (laughs) yeah, if people refuse to pay, he would carjack them a lot of times, kill them and then go sell their car parts. And so (laughs) very uh, mob tactics. But that's oh, the streets man. these kids are growing up in, and it's how look how easy it would be to be, you know, sucked into this life. Oh, absolutely, they don't have a choice. Yeah. So let's get into his his life of murder. Uh, how many people did Escobar kill? Uh, Escobar was responsible for the killing of thousands of people, including politicians, civil servants, journalists, and ordinary citizens. When he realized that he had no shot at becoming Colombia's president, and with the United States pushing for his capture and extradition. Escobar unleashed his fury on enemies in the hopes of influencing Colombian politics. His goal was no extradition clause and amnesty for drug barons in exchange for giving up the trade. So the one fear he had, it seemed, not was like, it wasn't death, it was being extradited and put in a real prison. Because later we'll see, by fighting against extradition and kind of winning that battle by force, he was able to do things like have his own prison built built and kind of yes. turn himself in and live this life of luxury in his own prison with jacuzzis and and you know women to have in have sex with and have his family come in for family day and all that shit like his biggest fear was that the US was going to get their hands on him and they were going to legally be able to extradite him to the US and put him in a maximum maximum security prison and he was going to have to live that life cuz he's dude, just he... used to the life of luxury dude living on his his estate, yes, you know, and he's got all the money in the world and he, anything he wants. Man, he could have lived that life though. He could have kept living that life in that prison if he wouldn't have just taken if he wouldn't have taken it too far. 
Right. Oh, I you know. know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you will. Yeah, we'll get to that. He right. has some. Pe- he has some that's, people brought there and murdered. That's and that what blows my mind. It's like at that point, it's like Pablo, you won. You won. Yep. Like yep. you, you could, you still get to go. Your business is still running. You can yep. keep moving it, putting a new face in front of it, whatever. You're in prison. Yep. They can't blame you, and they have to protect you. Yep. Like you won. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. But that you know, that's that's what happens when you're in that when you have that much power your whole life. Yeah. And, and like we've seen with serial boundaries. killers, you get cocky, and then that's where you fuck up. And that's they don't that's want what, any that's boundaries. Yep. 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 They can't be told what to do. It's their ego and, and their uh, narcissism. Um, it's alleged that Escobar backed the 1985 storming of the Colombian Supreme Court by left-wing guerrillas from the 19th of April movement, also known as M19. This is a huge event. You've seen footage of it with the tanks storming the storming the Supreme Court and killing a bunch of uh, of uh, officials in there. The mm-hmm. siege, a retaliation motivated by the Supreme Court studying the constitution, uh, constitutionality of Colombia's extradition treaty with the U.S., resulted in the murders of half of the judges in the court. M19 Jeez. were paid to break into the palace and burn all the papers and files on Los Ost- Los Extraditables, a group of ex- a group of cocaine smugglers who were under threat of being extradited to the US by the Colombian government. Escobar was listed as part of the Los Extraditables. Hostages were also taken for negotiation on their uh, of their release, thus helping to prevent extradition of Los Extraditables to the US for their crimes. So all of these these narcos, these these uh Drug lords were they they were really afraid that this was about to get passed in Supreme Court. And so basically they stormed it with tanks and a bunch of uh basically like soldiers with weapons and and basically got rid of all the papers that were they made mm-hmm. it impossible for this to get passed essentially and killed a bunch of the judges. And of course, now who wants to be a part of passing it in the future because they're afraid they're gonna right. be the next victim. Yeah, he just stormed the, the. Yeah, he just stormed the previous judges with a tank in the yep. middle of the day. Yeah, like who who is safe right now? Right, nobody's yeah. safe from him in Cuba. Yep, Escobar's terror campaign a claimed Columbia. the lives of three Colombian presidential candidates, an attorney general, scores of judges, and more than a thousand police officers. In addition, Escobar was implicated in the mastermind behind the bombing of Colombian jetliner, a Colombian jetliner in 1989 that killed more than a hundred people. So on this plane. I don't even know. I think what happened is the person that he was trying to take out wasn't even on the plane. He ended up just killing over a hundred innocent people on a plane. Yes, literally had did. a plane blown up. So I remember that in the in the in the uh, Narcos. Yeah, I'm not one. so sure Robin Hood would do that. I don't know. Call me crazy. Nah, he wouldn't do that. <laughs> would do Let's that. talk about uh, Haim. How, how, how was his name pronounced again? Uh, Hami. I think it was Hami Ramirez Gomez. Uh, he was an official of the National Police in Colombia. He was a big part of the fight against um, the drug, the, the, the drug uh, kingpins, and all of this uh, smuggling that was going on to the U.S. He was an official of the National Police of Colombia who led a fight against illegal drug trade in Colombia from the 1970s and onward. He became the national director of the Colombian Drug Enforcement Unit, working with the Minister of Just- Justice Rodrigo Laura Banilla Banilla against the Medellin cartel. The biggest blow against the cartel was dealt by Colonel, uh, by Colonel Ramirez on March 7, 1984, in an operation involving the DEA to locate and destroy a large cocaine production camp in the jungle of the Yari River, known by the cartel as Tranquilandia, Tranquil, the, or the Tranquil Land. Tranquilandia, probably. Tr- Tranquilandia, yeah. or the Tranquil Land in uh, English. 
Uh, I think this was also in Narcos, right, where they took out that big camp? Yes. Yeah. Yep. It triggered direct hostiles by the, by the cartel against the Colombian state, commencing with the murders of Minister Laura Bonilla. Laura Bonilla. You remember how they did this, right? How did they do it? He was getting a big order of uh, ether from the United States. Oh, yes. And when they, the FBI, or the DEA, rather, uh, put a tracker on one of the barrels mm-hmm. and sent it back. And oh, was that f- with the with the famous uh, smuggler that, that Tom Cruise had a movie? What was his name? Yeah, yeah, I think so. They got oh, called the lion or whatever. Yeah, or the fat I man can't... was what they would call him. Yeah, the fat I, damn it! I kept, he, I'm sorry. I, I keep like I kept watching stuff about this guy. We could actually do an episode on him. Oh yeah, that dude's got an interesting life too. Yeah, but it was on, so cool the way they did that, man. The way they tracked the barrels back to the tranquil land, and then they used those very barrels of ether to set fire to everything they had they built there. And it was, it was a factory. It was like a full fledged cocaine Barry production Seal. factory. Barry Seal. Barry Seal, okay, cool. Yeah, hold on, let's, let's read a little description about him. Barry Seal um, was a Transworld Airlines pilot who became a major smuggler for the Medellin cartel. When Seal was convicted of smuggling charges, he became an informant for the DEA and testified on several major drug trials. He was murdered in 1986 by contract killers hired by Pablo Escobar. They finally caught up with him. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, yeah, his life was was crazy big part of this story and had helped the DEA a lot. Um, according to statements Seal made after becoming a DEA informant, he began smuggling small quantities of cannab- cannabis. By 1978, he had begun flying significant loads of cocaine because pound for pound it was more profitable. In December 1979, he was arrested on in Honduras after returning from a drug smuggling trip to Ecuador. Um, he was imprisoned until 1980. And uh, undeterred by his arrest, he expanded his operations upon returning to the United States. And uh, he, he later began working with the Medellin cartel. As a pilot and drug smuggler, he transported numerous shipments of cocaine from Colombia to Panama to the United States. He was the most successful one. He had done more than uh, 50 flights, and he was earning as much as $1.3 million per flight. Damn. So many people got rich off this. And, and he was also, like, he kept it, like, his identity hidden from from the cartel and everything like he he only communicated through like uh pay phones and stuff like that that's why they only knew him as the fat man <laughs> right and that's how he, he ultimately was able to stay stay in hiding for so long before they finally found him and killed him yeah, it was smart it was smart yeah but uh Hami gomez the guy we were talking about with the official of the of colombia who was helping to fight this uh they took out that big camp in the jungle of the Yari River. Um, it triggered direct hostiles by the cartel against the Colombian state. Um, Escobar's terror eventually turned public opinion against him and caused a breakup of the alliance of drug traffickers. And uh, Colonel Ramirez's success against drug cartels brought him to the position of director of the Colombian Drug Enforcement Unit at the same same moment that the political leader, uh, Bonilla, a bitter enemy of drug cartels and corruption, was promoted to the position of Minister of Justice by the presidency. Um, and Ramirez and Lara assembled a team. So this, they're they're really fighting back now. Like they're not putting up with all the corruption and and, and guys like uh, Pablo paying off Policia and all that stuff. They've now at the highest position of power in Colombia are actually actively trying to fight this, and they're and they're working with the United States. Um, 
uh, they discovered that the cartels were using several aircraft and illegal airport, uh, legal airports to export illegal drugs to the United States and Europe. With that information, Minister Laura uh, ordered at the suspension of any flight that was seen as suspicious, dealing a heavy blow to the cartel's operations, as well as denouncing dirty money in different political parties and even in sport teams. Yeah, a lot of the sporting teams were like funded by, like I, th- I want to say Pablo had like his own professional soccer team, right? Oh, I'm sure he did. I know he had like a soccer complex. Yeah, and he would have games, his, games yeah. where he was participating, and he would pay like announcers to <laughs> to like talk him up during the game. <laughs> that's Look at awesome. Pablo, that's he's like, unstoppable. That's like some John Dupont stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It so is totally. Um, with the destruction of Tranquilandia, uh, the cartel declared war on the Colombian state, starting with the murder of Minister Laura. On April 30th, 1984, seven weeks after the seizure of the cocaine production camp, that was a big moment, man. When they, when he decided to take out the minister, this yeah. really like empowered the United States, and uh, it, and they kind of like started pushing to go after him even more. The death of Minister Laura brought terrible consequences for both Colombia and for the cartel leaders, who as a result became a target of international persecution. Colombia was deeply divided between those who accepted the drug cartel's corruption and those who joined the fight against it many times without the support of the state, although the Medellin cartel, Medellin cartel was damaged, it's, it was powerful and began a chain of murders against political leaders, judges, police, and journalists, anyone who d- dared to stand up against it. Colonel Ramirez's name was put to, on the hit list of the cartel, and it did not rest until it, w- it broke through his security to avenge the damage he did to its criminal network. On November 17, 1986, when he was returning with his family to, to Bogota, Men in a green Renault 18 began to shoot at his car on a bridge between the municipalities of uh, Masquera and Fabina. Uh, taking advantage of the fact that he was without a convoy, Colonel Ramirez lost control of his car, crashed against a rock not far from a police station. The assassins approached his car and shot him in front of his wife and sons. Yeah, in the documentary I watched, his, his wife was um, discussing this event, how they were. she was riding with her husband, Colonel. Right. I remember and, this too. This is heartbreaking. Yeah, and they're they're literally talking about their future, like what they're gonna do with their lives and all this stuff. And she's like, "That's when it happened." Dude, they it seems like that's how it always and, happens, like in movies, you know? They're right. Like, Everything's gonna be okay, and you see a car coming in the side yeah. window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The the murder of of Colonel Ramirez was just one act in a macabre war by the Medellin cartel against the Colombian state and its attempt to outsmart it. But it was also a milestone which resulted in the fight against the cartel being quickly strengthened with the international support of the DEA in order to hunt down the main ringleaders. It's on that. So yeah, yeah, and this is when the pressure became actually too much for, for Pablo. He started worrying about, I think there was a, a, even a bomb that went off like in the basement of his home or something like that. And like it, it, it started, he started to fear for his family. Yeah, his daughter with, uh, was injured in that explosion. Yeah, and with the DEA uh, now cracking down on him and with fear of extradition and all this stuff, he finally decided to turn himself in, knowing that uh, it, w- there was an agreement in place with his surrender and that he would be put in his own prison that he had built. It was on his property um, called the La Cathedral, uh, or the Cathedral. In 1990, June of 1991, Escobar surrendered to the Colombian government of President Cesar Gaviria, in, in return, the threat of extradition was lifted and Escobar was allowed to build his own luxury prison called the, the Cathedral, which was guarded by men he handpicked among his employees. The prison lived up to its name and came complete with a casino, spa, and nightclub. 
In June 1992, however, Escobar escaped when authorities attempted to move him to a more standard holding facility. And that's they tried to move him because he, it, like we said, he'd gotten too cocky. How they even allowed him to do this in the first place blows my mind. What's the difference between him leaving, living in the cathedral and him being free in his home on his ranch? It's the same thing to me. He's still ordering hits. He's still... Right. It's not like he was out there in the streets killing people anyway. He's... He's order, you know, he's running things from behind doors regardless. Him being in the cathedral, him being at home is the same shit. You know, yeah. the only difference is at least you know exactly where he is, but you already knew where he was. He was on his he was on his ranch most of the time. Right. You couldn't so get to see it anyways. <laughs> but what what he did was he had some of his uh some of his higher ranking guys in his in his operation that he didn't trust brought to the cathedral and murdered. And that's kind of what forced their hand and said, all right, you're going to a regular prison now. And we got wind of the fact that he was being moved. That's when he basically just walked out the door because he had his own men guarding the cathedral. Yeah. <laughs> and, Put your uh, guns down. I'm going for a walk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just look the other way. Here's here's $1,000. Right. Uh, a manhunt for the drug lord was launched that would last 16 months. During that time, the monopoly of the Medellin cartel which had begun to crumble during Escobar's imprisonment as police raided offices and killed its leaders, rapidly deteriorated. Um, yeah, so he, this is the a lot of the, the later part of Narcos season one where he's like hiding out in like a little condo and mm-hmm. realizing it's kind of all coming to an end. Yeah, uh, they they just continue to get closer and closer. And actually, the fact that he brought in international attention and help from other countries to get him ended up being a large part of his downfall because I think it was France donated this van of surveillance, like the most high-tech surveillance shit that uh, the world had to offer at the time. They did. With trackers, and ultimately they were able to pinpoint if he was on the phone for more than three minutes with like a family member. He, you know, he, he loved his family. That's one thing you can say that it has any sort of positivity to it is that he was a, actually a good family man. Like he loved his wife and his kids dearly, and he had to right. talk to them every day. And like even when he was at the cathedral, he had a telescope on his patio that was pointed right at his his uh, wife's bedroom, so he could talk to his daughter on the phone and look at her through the telescope. And so like even after he's on the run after escaping the cathedral, he's having to call his son and his and his talk to his daughter on the phone and his wife every day. But he knew he even knew if he spoke to them for more than three minutes that he could his position his location could be tracked. That's right. Um, and so, and they they knew, and he knew, uh, but eventually he uh, he slipped up, and he was in hiding out in this condo or whatever, and spoke to uh, on the phone to his son for more than three minutes, and they were able to locate his position. Um, yeah, he so did let's it on talk purpose, about, man. I think he did you it think on purpose. So? Yeah, so that was just, his. He was. Yeah, I'd like to know what that last conversation was because I bet it was a whole lot of you know I love yous, uh, you know. I want the best for you. Good luck. The show almost <laughs> the show almost made it seem like that, right? I'm I'm thinking yeah. back to that that episode where where they got him, and it was like he he went right out in the open and like yep. drove around and like went and got like a he went and got like a, some kind of like his favorite snack at a at like a little friggin' deli and like it seemed like he'd accepted like this is it it's the end. Yep. He had one body bodyguard watching over him. Yeah, um, one bodyguard really. Right. All the men that he employed at the time. Yeah, because yeah, he couldn't he trust anyone anymore. Yeah, that's true. That's true, too. So let's talk about Pablo's death. Uh, Escobar's family unsuccessfully sought asylum in Germany and eventually found refuge in a, in a Bogota hotel. 
Escobar himself was not so lucky. Colombian law enforcement finally caught up to the fugitive on December 2nd, 1993, in a middle-class neighborhood in Melin. A firefight ensued as Escobar tried to escape across a series of rooftops. He and his bodyguard were shot and killed, and that's the infamous footage and, and pictures you see of him on that red brick uh, roof. Yeah, in like a you know lower class area, dude. He was hiding out in just a you know average little townhome. How do you feel about those pictures, man? With like all the FBI agents, so like, weird, right? It's like, it's like you know I don't what? It's feel like good about. I'm it. going hunting soon, and it reminds me so much of those dudes that are into trophy hunting. Yeah, where they're sitting there smiling. I don't do that. Like by the way, I don't. I'm that into, doesn't I'm make into me hunting feel and, good at all. I'm yeah, into hunting like for that. the meat, and like I respect the animal and all that. And like, I, not to, no, nothing against trophy. I, I'm not trying to shit on trophy hunting. It's just not for me. Like. I get that conservation is still important with hunting and all that stuff, but like it, I do find it weird when people are posing with these these like lions and stuff like that. Like, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's like what it an reminded exotic me of. animal. Yeah, that's yeah, that's too much. But like, but then with a human, I, I don't know, man. I just I don't I don't like that, dude. I don't. It was weird, right? I know he wasn't the best guy. He was, but he still had a family. He did a lot of terrible. You know, imagine shit. being his being his kids and seeing those pictures, right? Ah, I just, yeah, I don't like that, man. Even like Osama bin Laden, you know what I mean? Like even him, piece of shit that he was, I, I still, it's like yeah. you killed him. We don't okay, need the pictures. Great. We just need the, yeah. the, we just need the headline. We just need the confirmation. Or even all. if it was just a picture of him laying there, but like it was definitely creepy with all these like smiling, happy DEA agents. And yes, shit. that was <laughs> just too much, man. All but good. like holding his head up and like, like making like a smile with his face or something. It was oh, still like they God. wasn't far from that. Not at all. I, I don't doubt that. That may have happened, actually. Right. Just That just wasn't on a picture. Right. You know, they probably did. They probably, like, yeah, they probably did some weird poses with them and shit. Ugh. All right, so let's talk about the aftermath of, Esco of Escobar's death. Um, Escobar's death accelerated the demise of the, the Medellin cartel and Colombia's, Colombia's central role in the cocaine trade. His end was celebrated by the country's government and other parts of the world. His family was placed under police protection. Still, many Colombians mourned his killing. More than 25,000 people turned out for Escobar's burial. He built houses and cared for the poor. Uh, one funeral goer stated at Escobar's funeral in a story reported by the New York Times, quote, in the future, people go to his tomb, pray, and the way they would a saint. Um, yeah, Escobar was... Gangsters go still go to his... I was going to say gangsters still go to his grave and knock on it. Oh, yeah, they knock luck. on it, right? Like, it's yeah. still, yeah, it's pretty sacred, even to this mm -hmm. day. Yeah. That, uh, speaking of gangsters, like, they, I think I thought it kind of interesting the, that hitmen in Colombia would go to this, was it like a cathedral or something or a church where there was, like, these candles burning and they would light candles before they would go out on their runs to kill people? Right. Did you see that in the documentary? Yeah. Such a, like, an eerie like image it's something that makes them feel good it's, man it what, cleans their conscience it makes them feel like what's that know. movie with the two irish brothers the the boondock uh, saints boon, it's very boondock saints yeah going to the church and like lighting candles before they go out on hits yeah it's a catholic <laughs> thing man yeah uh so yeah, let's talk about some of the uh stuff that's been created and ask in the uh like entertainment that's been created in the aftermath of escobar uh, he was the subject of a popular 2012 Colombian television miniseries, El Patron del Ma. Uh, the program was produced by Camilio Cano and Juana Uribe, both of whom had been, had been family members of who, people who were murdered by Escobar and his assistants. 
And then, of course, the TV show Narcos. Assisting in the manhunt for Escobar were two American drug enforcement agents, Steve Murphy and Javier Pena, both of whom had been working the Escobar case for years. Their story formed part of the backbone of the 2015 Netflix series Narcos. In 2016, Escobar's brother Roberto announced he was prepared to sue Netflix for $1 billion for his misportrayal of their family in its, in its series Narcos. Oh, shit. Uh, Roberto was Escobar's accountant for his drug gang in real life, but in the show, the accountant was depicted as a non-family member who turns out to be a CIA agent. Roberto Escobar has since been since abandoned his efforts. So no. yeah, yeah. Good <laughs> He's luck. Like, oh, never mind. Netflix that, is huge. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their lawyers, uh, they're not having it. No, absolutely not. <clears throat> That being said, there was a power vacuum that was created when Pablo was killed, and of course, that's you get season two of Narcos, where it just kind of continues on with the Cali cartel, and it's just right. You know, it, it never really ends. No, I'm know. like, but I watched a few few sh- uh, episodes of that season, and I was just like, I miss Pablo. Right, you know? that's what I'm I saying. I miss Pablo. Still good, but not the same. It's not the same. Yeah. It's they started out with a bang. They should have started with some other stuff. Right. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe done the sequel, then the prequel. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Also, some great uh, memes have spawned from from that show. Pablo, like the one where he's kind of like just standing there, staring off into the distance. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like me on a Friday night. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, maybe that's you when you think about your poor Carolina Panthers, Michael. <laughs> that is. That's me standing there with my hands in my pockets. Maybe one day we'll actually win a Super Bowl. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> All right, guys. That's Pablo Escobar. We knocked it out in an hour somehow, but I think we, we, we really... I, I feel like it was a good episode. I had fun with it. And yeah. we got everything in there that I think needed to be said about the guy. I, 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 I found it fun to study. I, I picked this one just because I've been wanting to do Pablo for a while. Yeah, man, me too. I have too. I, I loved Narcos. I was I didn't know I mean, I've always heard the name Pablo Escobar. Right. But after watching Narcos, it just it fascinated me. And then when I like you said, the real footage that they throw in there, yep. it just intrigues you even more. You're like, wow. Because he hired his own camera crew. That's something we didn't mention, but he hired his own camera crew to document his life. There's tons Oh yeah. That's where of, you get the footage of him out. riding around on through the rhinos and right. dolphins That's, on his dirt bike. Imagine if he didn't do that, man. That really created a legacy. Right. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess back then you had to, that had to be in your foresight because not everybody was walking around with camera phones taking videos and pictures of every little fucking thing. Well, cameras so, back then were so expensive. That probably played yeah. a role in it too. He had the money to have a bunch of cameras and shit. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's not like now where you can get a freaking camera, like a little camera that fits in your pocket off Amazon that's HD for 10 bucks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know? Back then, you had to have yeah. the big over-the-shoulder shit that was like thousands of dollars. Yeah, we take it for granted now. You know, it's like everyone's—I guess in a way, everyone's life is kind of documented. Like I, I sometimes I scroll through Instagram and stuff, and I'm like, "Why are people doing this?" But then when I get a reminder from three years ago from Facebook or from Instagram or something, I'm like, "Oh, that's or Snapchat." I'm like, "That's pretty cool, actually." You get yeah, to, no you doubt. get to take a little Snapchat, and be like, that, "That's where I was. That's what we were doing then," and so that's kind of nice. So. I don't know. I think it's just about a balance. It's about a yeah. balance. Yeah. But that's a whole other conversation. Speaking of balance, do your armpits have balance? Dude, mine do. Mine I do too. And that's that's like thanks to Egyptian our sponsor. pyramid right now. Our, like our, our Egyptian musk. Our all-time sponsor, number one sponsor forever of the True Crime Guys podcast. That's right. Oh my Gaia. Oh my Gaia. 
Oh My Gaia is an innovative all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Guys, there's tons of scents to choose from, from vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, my personal favorite, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside. And guys, we have our very own scent, if you don't know, called True Crime Pine. It's That's another one that I always keep on hand because, you know, I mean, I guess it's a little bit vain because, you know, it has our picture on there, but I think it's cool. And it's a cool thing to show people who learn about the show, you know. But uh, True Crime Pine, it's it, I think it's a little bit sweet as well it has a sweet smell to it don't you think lauren like it's definitely a unisex but it also has that that piney forest yeah it it could absolutely go on a woman or a man right and you'll you'll get banged either way that's right definitely and hopefully and it's got our logo on it right and and you'll have this deliciously sweet true crime pine smell just to cover up that won't give you cancer that you don't want most important that won't give you cancer no paraben no aluminum that's right and guys, so. you have no reason not to try it because with the code word CREEPER, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, you can get 15% off your order at ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. Get it's it, getting guys. warmer. Guys, we're growing our beards out. Playoff season's coming for, for hockey and football. Your playoff mm-hmm. beards are going to start coming. That's and right. just for winter, man. You like to look like Grizzly Adams during winter, don't we? I like to grow mine out. So I beard like oil, out she has. Oh my guy has phenomenal beard oil as well with all the scents that we mentioned. So definitely check that out. Exactly. And if you just want scented oil, ladies, she has that as well. So don't think you're left out just because you don't have a beard. Or I mean, ladies, if you do have a beard, that's that's cool too. You can also use the beard oil. Beautiful. Okay. All right. So let's talk about <laughs> the people who have taken the time to go and uh, rate and review our show on iTunes. Uh, the fire emojis fucking rolling in like gangbusters. Thank you guys. Yes. I, I think it, it's beautiful. Even if you just like, you don't want to write a review, maybe you don't, you're not the most, you're the best writer or anything like that. You just don't want to take the time. Just go click five stars, pop in some fire emojis. It really, it, it kind of like sets off our reviews, man. It looks like, really you go nice in there, scrolling like, this through This podcast has got to be fire. Like look they at gotta all these fire be. emojis. Gotta be. <laughs> <laughs> so since our last free episode, I, there may be a couple of duplicates in here. I, I'm trying to, I, we last one we posted on September 4th, so I'm going back to a few days before that. So I want to okay. thank Sam Fierce. Uh, wrote a great review about us and put some fire emojis. Thank you. Cappy underscore girl. Said, love these guys. Thank you. Mezzy Mac, shitload of fire emojis. Hell yeah. Pen- penance from heaven. This recovering Catholic freeloader loves your work. Love it. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> well said. Jank uh, 362, fire, bunch of fire emojis. Uh, Raul Mar 12 said, love this show. Best true crime podcast. Thank you. Uh, Nicorette said, hashtag freeloader proud. Hell yeah. I love yeah. The, pr- the people who just embrace it and say, hell yeah, oh, I'm a yeah. freeloader for life. Be it. That's great. Yep. That's freaking uh, awesome. J Dog Huey gave us five stars with a bunch of fire emojis and then like the exploding like firecracker emojis too. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, let's see. Tashizi, thank you for the five star review and said the urge for me inter- to interject is so strong. I like the conversational tone here and appreciate the added details to certain stories I've heard retold on different podcasts. Uh, thank you. The original Meg, five stars, great pod, bunch of fire emojis. Uh, Aimster Doodle Pufferkins. Five stars, love it. Thank you. Uh, Shani Ruth said, number one freeloader. Five stars, thank you. Banana Man Zach, five stars, four uh, fire emojis. 
Come on, give us five fire emojis, one for each star at least. Oh, but dude, let's not complain. He gave he gave the five for it counts. You know what I'm saying? This guy's gonna be no. like this fucking assholes. So Banana know man, exactly what they said. Banana man, Zach. I expect one more fire emoji. You better redo that. <laughs> Just do one more review. He's gonna be like, yeah, here's one more fire emoji with one star, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, Gwenny Far twenty eight. Always, always recommend. Bunch of fire emojis. Thank you. Uh, Marielle Torres. Great company. Five stars. Thank you. Nisi six. Love you guys. Five stars. Bunch of fire emojis. Gamer Geek 344718. Five stars, bunch of fire emojis. Love it. Oh, uh, I need to get on there. Apparently, I haven't seen the reviews in a while. I've not seen all these fire emojis. We're up over 1,200 reviews now, dude. Crazy. Oh, damn. I got to get on there. Betty Jane Starling. Like a true crime hangout. Five stars. Thank you. That's a great description. Hell yeah. yeah. Jessica Poole. Five stars. Laugh. Thank you. Uh... Ebola Spice, uh, five stars. <laughs> After every episode, I can't get the outro music out of my head. Love it. That's big props to you, Michael. Thanks. Shelby1122, five stars. Heart emoji, thank you. Uh, Levinson, thank you for the five-star review and all the fire emojis. CPTTB, thank you. Uh, Hayden Girl 13 thank you. Said love the podcast, five stars. Fort Worth Mama, one of my faves, five stars, thank you. Faye Renee, Faye Renee, you all are amazing, five stars, thank you. Less, less Russ, five stars, fire emojis, you guys are awesome, thank you. Uh, Sheeples, Sheeples, five stars, thorough fun, you still able to, you'll still be able to sleep at night. Right on. Oh, that's so a good So thank one. all of you guys, yeah. man, that's a lot, appreciate it. It's probably because we took a little longer break than normal, it's because we lost that episode and such, but... Right. Definitely, all the reviews are still rolling in. We thank you guys so much. And we also thank all the people um, who have gone and signed up to Patreon and all the people who will, after this, go and sign up for Patreon. Two bucks a month gets you a bunch of free content. Patreon.com slash True Crime Guys. Not free content. $2 a month content. Right. But uh, all of our bonus episodes get you in the monthly drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets you Michael's show that he does himself called Higher Thoughts. That's right. Where he just shares what's going on in his head. He answers listener questions. It's great, and he's in a different state of mind, if, and you can, if you can figure that out. Right, and I'm getting back into that, guys. Uh, last week, I did the first episode in about four weeks, so he had to give me a little uh, transition period, but we should be back on track now. I just released episode 26. Yeah, he moved across the country, guys. Uh, give him a break. Yeah, but, give me a break. We're give me like a four-week break. Back full steam ahead now. Yeah, we're back. It's ahead. never been better time to join patreon.com slash guys. Oh, and also, five bucks a month gets you the golden... Creep Van sticker. It's very prestigious. Mm-hmm. Only a select few people in the world have it. So just so you know. And That's if right. if you donated, if you became a five dollar Patreon within the last month, uh, I know I there was a few weeks there where I was uh, I didn't get the stickers out. I just sent them out, so they should be coming any day now. If you're if you're listening and you've been a five dollar Patreon for like a week or two, just know your your gold Creep Van's coming. It's coming. I just did a whole stack of them. So nice, dude. They add up quick, don't they? It's a yeah, good problem to have. And you forget. Sometimes Sometimes I forget I got to send those out. And then I'm like, oh, shit, I got to do it. So I send them all out in one day. So Right. <laughs> the post office person's like, what the hell is this for? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, is that about it? Do we got a Patreon one? Oh, wait, I'm going hunting. So I don't know if we can do another. I think we can record next weekend. You think I so? I think I should, be, I should be back. So don't quote me on that, but we'll see. All right. So Lauren's going hunting. If there's not don't an episode, count us out. then Lauren's still in the woods somewhere. And Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Right? Yep. All right, cool. All right, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. We love you. Keep creeping. 
Yeah. See you on the other side. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming. I almost just hung up on you. <laughs>